Now, I never thought I'd get to say this, but we're going to go from the Mary Tyler Moore show to the George Washington show. Now, bear with me. (laughs) (laughs) I I promise you I'm going to take you somewhere good. Like television finales, the finales of a particular president and their administration wasn't always a given. That tradition had to start too. And it started with, not a big surprise, George Washington. So much of what Washington did was to fill out the nooks and crannies of the presidency that most people hadn't even really thought about. Lindsay Trevinsky is a presidential historian. Article 2 is is relatively short. There's very little written down. And so the day-to-day acts of governing were all sort of to be decided. And he had to really figure out what those were going to look like once he was in office. And of course, leaving office is a huge part of that because until he had done so, there really wasn't a history of peaceful transition of power. Lindsay says Washington thought a lot about what that transfer of power should look like. Or, in other words, the best way for the George Washington show to end. Typically in Europe, when there was a transition of power, it was because someone had died or someone had lost their head. And that was obviously not the model they were going for. And so he was very attentive that this process had to happen while he was alive in order to set a precedent for what that would look like for there being another election while the current president was still alive and in office, for how that sort of transition would work and the respect that would transition from one person to the next, or in some cases not, <laughs> as depending on who was in <laughs> office. And um, so he was he was very thoughtful about those details. And while he didn't usually publish all that much in the newspaper. He wasn't constantly writing things and having them, you know, submitted anonymously. He felt like this was an opportunity that he could speak to the American people directly and explain why this moment was so important and then also try and kind of convince them of the things that he felt were going to be key issues going forward. So what does he decide to do in saying farewell? Well, he he makes a couple of decisions. First, he announces uh, significantly ahead of time so that there is it is not a surprise to anyone when the election comes up and there's sort of time for people to process this transition. He then takes the opportunity to sort of directly address the American people about what he sees are their strengths and also the potential challenges the nation had going forward. And that's very unusual for him because he, of course, had given his, you know, sort of inaugural addresses where he was speaking to Congress. But that was really speaking to Congress. And he he very rarely had the opportunity to speak directly to the American people. So, Lindsay, describe for us What the farewell address was, how long is it, you know, basically, what is it saying? Sure. So the farewell address was basically a letter that George Washington wrote to the American people. And it was published on September 19th, 1796. So the last fall, Washington was in office. And it was basically his way of saying publicly to the American people, I am retiring. I am not accepting a nomination again. And then an opportunity for him to share what he felt were sort of the strengths of his time in office as well as the challenges that still face the nation. So most famously, he warns against partisan or sectional divisions. He really is trying to encourage the American people to see what they have in common, to embrace those bonds and to see themselves as Americans and not as Virginians or New Yorkers or South Carolinians. 
His other big warning is against sort of any sort of foreign involvements. There was a lot of pro-British sentiment and a lot of pro-French sentiment in the United States, and it was causing people to really want to side with those European powers as opposed to their fellow countrymen. And so that was something that Washington was very concerned about and wanted people to avoid any sort of foreign entanglement as opposed to, you know, a national consensus. Um, What's really fascinating about the farewell address is that Washington first started drafting it actually in 1792 when he was first thinking about retiring. And he asked James Madison to come up with draft at that point. And then he used several of those passages in his 1796 version, which he handed over to Alexander Hamilton to sort of revise and and, uh, resubmit in, in 1796. So he publishes this in the newspaper. Does he actually speak the address out loud? No, no. He was not particularly comfortable with public speaking, um, probably because he didn't have teeth. And so he (laughs) had (laughs) (laughs) so he had, you know, a series of kind of uncomfortable dentures. And so he just really wasn't comfortable with public speaking. And that would have, frankly, reached far fewer people because there wasn't a medium like radio or television or the Internet to convey that message. So by publishing it in the newspaper, he was actually reaching the maximum number of readers that he could find. So now, how did people respond? Well, I think a lot of people were very, um, I don't know if sad is the right word, but they were concerned about him leaving office. They were concerned about what would happen afterwards because he had such unparalleled stature, even still in 1796 after he had been criticized by a lot of Republicans. There were certainly some, like Thomas Jefferson, who in his letters sort of was frustrated at the illusions that the Republican Party had, you know, caused these divisions in the country, and and he felt like it was unfair, and there were people who were defensive about it. Um, But I think a lot of people really appreciated the moment, and they appreciated the message that he was saying. Um, And certainly, I think it has stood the test of time in terms of history. I know it's still taught in a lot of history classes. And many of the issues that he raised in terms of foreign intervention and sectional conflict, those are obviously still things we're dealing with today. Absolutely. Now, you've talked about the way in which in method, this is something different for him. But, you know, if we this this episode of Backstory that we're doing is about finales and being a child of the 70s, I just somehow think of famous TV shows that ended in the 1970s. which naturally led me to think of Washington's presidency as the George Washington show. So would you say that the finale, George Washington's finale, was a fitting finale for the George Washington show? Does it sort of follow from what he did or does it really seem in message like something apart? I think it's really consistent. It's certainly not a shocker or a cliffhanger like The Sopranos or, you know, something that's totally nonsensical like Lost um, but uh, <laughs> um, or something that, like, completely destroys the entire show like How I Met Your Mother, which I'm still angry about to this day. Oh, Lizzie, you're making me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> they, oh, that, that show made oh, – I, I love that show and it just got destroyed by the finale. So he did not do that. So props to him for not destroying his reputation. Um, I think it's very consistent because it is thoughtful. It is 
very aware of the precedent that it is setting. It is very aware of the future of the nation and how the nation is going to survive without him, which were constant concerns on his mind and and his sort of constant effort to keep the country together, which had really been his life's work since 1775. Let's talk for a minute, though. We, we talk about precedent setting in all kinds of ways, right? Washington, the precedent setter. So here's the question. If we think about other, quote unquote, founder presidents, right? Adams and Jefferson and Madison and Monroe, do they adopt any part of that precedent when they bid farewell? Well, in some ways, that's, that's kind of the surprising part is his immediate successors don't really adopt this precedent. I mean, John Adams sort of notoriously I mean, I, I love him, and the Adams family <laughs> is such. I they're very close to my heart, but he kind of you know skulks. <laughs> he skulks out of D.C. and you know is so annoyed that he lost that he just can't even handle it, and he leaves before Jefferson is inaugurated. So he doesn't really have this glorious finish. And I think that after that, there was this sense that maybe a farewell address because it wasn't the first might be sort of ostentatious. I mean, certainly the presidents gave their inaugural address and their final ones had sort of this ring to it in that they were wrapping up their sense of their time in office and their administration. But it wasn't until a little bit later where there, I think there were big turnover moments where we start to see some of these addresses that are sort of speaking to the American people. Now, let's let's step back more broadly and just talk about presidential or political finales more broadly. Are there some that stand out to you when you take the long historian view? Well, John Quincy Adams, of course, had a, you know, a sort of quiet exit from the presidency, just like his father. He left while before Andrew Jackson was uh, inaugurated. But then I think he had one of the most dramatic exits from public life because he, of course, had a stroke on the floor of the House of Representatives while giving a speech and was carried to the Speaker's chambers and died in the Speaker's chambers. So he died loving and doing what he loved best, uh, which was arguing with people in Congress. And so I think that's perhaps one of the most dramatic exits, you know, more recently. So we think about some a president like Jimmy Carter, who, when he left office, his reputation was, fairly, frankly, pretty low. And since then has done such incredible humanitarian work and community building work that he's actually considered sort of one of the best, quote unquote, post presidents because he's been such a devoted public servant in a much more quiet way. Absolutely. So given where our conversation has taken us thus far, what do you think makes for a, a memorable finale? If you're talking to a president and saying, OK, here's what you got to keep in mind for a, a finale that will work, what might you say? I think generally uh, political activity or, you know, sort of pettiness is not rewarded uh, in the <laughs> historical memory. Um, sort of trying to rise above is is considered, you know, what is best, even if that's frustrating. And not necessarily saying that they couldn't give advice to the American people, but or, you know, sharing with them what they feel are their concerns. But, you know, not not trashing the person that's coming before them is is generally a good rule of thumb. Of course, that's easier said than done because a lot of people really criticized, you know, they criticized Obama for not criticizing Trump more. When, and, you know, trying to make for a smooth transition. So I guess that's kind of a lose-lose recommendation on my part. But, you know, I think that there has that has become custom where that presidents sort of stay out of politics. Of course, that that is something that's being 
broken right now because people generally view it as extraordinary circumstances. But in the last several decades, generally presidents are advised to stay out of it and to be private citizens and write books and teach and do those kinds of things. And that is what is remembered well and and viewed fondly. Being a post-president is, I think, a really, really tricky job. And there are so few people that are experienced in it. You can't really, that's a very small club. Lindsay Trevinsky is the author of The Cabinet, George Washington and the Creation of an American Institution. She's also a senior fellow at the International Center for Jefferson Studies. 